uh, I don't know, maybe like two months ago, George McGovern says, hey, you want to speak? I said, of course, I love to speak. That's the biggest thing on my body is my mouth. Clearly, nothing else is big. <laughs> so I said, of course, I'm going to speak, man. So that was like the end of it. And I didn't hear anything. And this past weekend at Cornerstone Church for the Super Bowl breakfast, I think, where's Tom? Tom, where are you, man? Tom, he's like, hey, man, we're going to see you on, uh, you know, Friday morning. I said, you sure? I said, because I haven't heard anything about it since. And there's George in the back. I said, George, am I speaking on Friday? He goes, yeah, you're on. I'm when, what time, what do I got? So I was just told I got like 20, 25 minutes, right? All right, so Matt, Matt basically is going to be the guy that gives me the hook because, man, I could go. I can. So I was also told that, you know, after this, there's breakout sessions and we're going to have some questions to talk about. So what we're going to talk about this morning are choices. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to give just a couple of quick examples in the Bible about choices, and then I'm going to tell a story. That okay? Yeah. All right. So choices. Let's talk about Joseph and the choices his brother made to sell him into slavery. Virtually death, right? They thought they were going to kill him, and then they sell him into slavery. And we all know the story where he goes on and he becomes a big leader in Egypt. And then his brothers come back to him, and Joseph had a choice. And the choice was, I'll stomp you for what you did to me, or I'll extend my love to you. And we know the story, how that ends up and what Joseph did in that choice. And I think a lot of people would have said he would have been justified in choosing to stomp them, right? Cast them out They're in the land with no food, the famine for five years, but he opted not to. He made a positive choice. Not everybody in the Bible made great choices, right? David's one of them. Um, I think of Jonah um, and the choices of constantly turning away and turning away and turning away. Those were intentional choices that he made ended up getting swallowed up by a big fish god made a choice too right said i'm going to choose to grab your attention and i think that's big with choices is the attention that comes from it and who who can not think of job and job's choices where he could have and for a second if you really get into job for a second he went to curse god and then instantaneous like bad move bad move and so he made those choices to constantly lift god for who he was in his life and what he can do and so the biblical examples of choices are what I'll finish at when I tell the story. 2020, what was the biggest thing of 2020? COVID, biggest thing. So I'm going to tell everyone's got a 2020 story. I'm going to tell you mine. My story was, for me, impactful. I actually ended up writing a book. Oh, by the way, I'm an idiot, didn't go to college, but I figured out how to do this. And why did I do this? Because my 2020 was interesting. Started out this way. So I just got done building a brand new house. Anybody here ever build a house? I know we got a bunch of construction guys here, yeah? Yeah, I built the house. You always come in under budget, right? <laughs> always come in under budget. I'm so far over budget, it makes me sick to this day. I try not to look at it, and yet I do. So we just move in. Basically, February 1st, we move into this house. Good stuff. Then the pandemic hits. I'm in real estate not a house to be sold. Couldn't go in them. No one knew what to do at all. Okay, someone's gonna come and take this house. I have no idea what's gonna happen. Absolutely a nervous wreck, instantaneously. Made a choice. Said, okay, that's not gonna happen. We're gonna figure out how to get through this. And by God's grace and through his wisdom, into my heart and in my mind, we figured out how to sell houses, before anybody else did and my brokerage ended up just doing phenomenal things before that big rise 
And I thank him very much. And it was a choice to say I could stick my head in the sand or I could pull up the bootstraps and figure this out. That we did. So that was real quick. And then obviously we all know what happened. Now I'll tell you an interesting story. It's April 1st. It's about 2.30 in the morning. My phone is always next to my bed on the charger at night. And when I say always, I mean always. I'm pretty sure most of the guys in this room, many of you are regimented, right? You do the same thing every day. Your keys go in the same spot. Your boots come off, they go in the same spot. A briefcase goes in. Everything's regimented. My phone is always next to my bed on the charger. Not this night. For the first time in my life, my phone is in my bed. Don't ask me why. But at about 2.15, 2.30 in the morning, the vibration of my phone ringing wakes me up. What the heck is this, right? And I open up the phone and I see missed call, missed call, missed call from my niece. So I pick up the phone and I call and I said, Antonella, what's the matter? And she's screaming on the other end, Ron's been shot, Ron's been shot. What are you talking about? Whoa, 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 what? just relax, what's going on? She can't talk very well obviously out of anxiety and what's happening in the household. So I said, okay, 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 hold on. You know, where's mommy? She's talking to the, the cops. I said, okay. The house that I built is a mother-daughter. I have my parents with me. Salud. I go down the hallway, open up the door to my parents' bedroom. I said, hey, get up, get up, get up. I said, Ron's been shot. Ron is my brother-in-law. He goes, what happened? I said, I don't know what happened. Let's go figure it out. We fly out to Pennsylvania, fly out in the car, right? God knows how fast we get out there, pull in. It's the mayhem. So here's what happened. They're in the middle of the woods where they live. There's a small community. Look at it like this table. There's one way in and one way out. And you go in and it's a round circle, square, whatever it would be. But that's the community. In there is about 45 homes in this development. Not much happens in there. So the dogs start barking. So my sister gets up and said, you know, what, is there a bear outside? What's causing the dogs to bark? And so she goes to the front window in the bedroom and she looks out and she sees a car going really, really slow. She's like, that's crazy. What's going on? And then the car stops and the, the car starts to go in reverse. So now she says, she goes and she nudges Ron who gets up every day at like 3.34 in the morning He's on a paving crew. And she's like, Ron, Ron, this car. He's really not with it. He's just kind of shaking the cobwebs out. My sister goes to her dresser and she grabs a, a sidearm. Side note, it's Pennsylvania. Everyone's got a gun. Everyone. They had 187 guns in their house. Ron was a big gun collector, avid hunter, big time. So my sister grabs her pistol and she goes to the front to say, are they casing the joint? Are they going to try to come on our property and steal? Like, what are they doing? And as the car goes back next to the roads were these gullies where the water would collect and go into drainage systems. And the car backs up and crashes into the gully. Ron, Ron, they, they just crashed into the gully. Still not awake yet with Ron. Again, it's, it's two something. The guy's going to get up in an hour. The car comes out of the gully, stops at the edge of the driveway, and the door opens up. So when the door opens up, the light goes on. And it's Ryan, Ron's son. Ron, it's Ryan, it's Ryan. So now he gets up. 
Ron had sleep apnea. He had a mask on his face. So he gets up. He takes his mask off. His room lights up like the 4th of July when the first bullet comes out of Ryan's gun. The first bullet hit a tree. They think maybe that was a warning shot. Not really sure. 15 rounds later, with a SCAR 308, and if anybody knows anything about it, guns, a SCAR 308 shoots a bullet that's about this big, pretty large caliber. So the first bullet goes off on that, and the light room lights up because he had not a scope for vision, but for light, and the room lights up, and my sister hits the deck. She literally is army crawling over to her dresser so she can grab her phone and call 911. My niece Antonella and my niece Juliana are in their respective bedrooms sleeping on the other side of the house. As bullet shot after shot goes off, Ron gets up and he goes to the window to see where is this coming from. Can you imagine being in Ron's position? Ron is going to have to shoot his son because his son is shooting at him, his wife, and his two stepdaughters. Tough choice to make, no doubt about it. Ron turns around and he bends over to pick up his rifle. And as he comes up, a bullet comes through the window and goes in his back, through his lungs, and blows out his chest. For a bullet to blow out Ron's chest, you must understand the size of the chest that we're talking about. Now, I know I'm a big guy. You guys are looking at me like, wow, he's big. How big is Ron? That's a joke. So Ron has a 64 jacket size. Massive, massive man. Massive, massive man. He gets shot. The bullet goes right through, blows out his chest wide open. I'm hit, Nick. I'm hit. I'm hit. He's flanneling all over the room. He's down. My sister picks up this massive man and rests him on this little bench that they had, right? That's her adrenaline flowing. The light goes off and the bullets stop. So she's trying to get Ron situated. My niece opens up the door and my sister's screaming at her, go get towels, go get towels. And my sister is shoving towels inside this man's chest because he's just the blood all over the place, naturally. Essentially, he dies on, on that bench. Um, paramedics came, say that they revived him, but he was dead. And, you know, they, they, they took him away. Um, you think about if you had to make that choice, what would you do? Would you be able to take that rifle out? And would you be able to take the life of your own son? I don't know. I don't know. I would never want to have to make that choice ever. So it was a rough, it was a rough few months. My sister came and lived with me with the girls. Obviously they couldn't be there. And there was wailing night after night after night from my sister. They're like, like a screech. If you've ever experienced any kind of ridiculous loss like that, it's a terrible, terrible sound. And so we worked through that. And this is all pandemic driven. So here's strike two for the year for 2020. November 16th, I know I'm not feeling right. And I say to my wife, I said, babe, I think I have COVID. She's like, she said, you don't have COVID. She goes, everyone's talking about it. So you think you have COVID. And if anyone knows my wife, like Kurt said, I'm a true Jersey guy. She's a Jersey girl. 
big chip on the shoulder. She'll love you to death, but she's a Jersey girl. So to her husband, shut up. Stop being a wuss. You don't have COVID, right? It's just your mind. I'm like, I think I got COVID. So I go to, I go to St. Joe's. My, uh, uh, my uncle's wife is, is, is working there. She comes out. She swabs me. I go home. She calls. She goes, you got COVID. I'm like, okay, all good. So I go to the basement, right? We don't, no one really knows fully all about this stuff just yet, what's going on. So I go to the basement, quarantine. I spend a week down there when it's rough. End of the first week, I'm like, this is ridiculous. I, like, I'm not getting better. I'm in all kinds of pain. You can't move. Just terrible. Near the end of that, I said to my wife, I said, I can't take my headache anymore. It's just, it's out of control. I said, I need ice packs. So my wife would come down to the basement, right? Two stories. So she's upstairs in the you know, second floor, down to the first, down to the basement, ice packs. Every 15 minutes, she would swap out the ice packs because the pain was so bad. I go to Chilton Hospital. They give me something. I wake up. I'm like, oh my, are you God? I go, I don't know what you just did, but I feel amazing. That wore off pretty much 15 minutes after I got home. Next morning, she goes, get up. We're going to the hospital. She takes me to Marstown. Go to Marstown. The guy gives me something in the emergency room. Comes back. He goes, anything? I'm like, you got to give me something. I said, I can't take this anymore. So finally, he gives me something else. Slight edge off. We go upstairs, and I get admitted. Anybody have migraines? No. Yes? Was it you? All right. So you know exactly what I'm talking about, bro. A migraine, and I get migraines, are absolutely debilitating. They're absolutely brutal. For me, the only way to solve a migraine is dark, dark place, ice, ice cold, cool it down, and that's it. Nothing like that would work. This is what it felt like. This is how I explain it. I felt like my head was in a round vice with screws going into it. And yet, at the same time, I felt like my head was exploding outward. So think about that pressure. I said that if there was a gun next to my bed, I'd have taken it. I've never felt anything like it. Put your head in the vice one day and try to do it. That's the feeling, man. But yet from the inside, that pressure of explosion is what I was feeling. That night they gave me remdesivir. That was the medication you take. So at 104 fever, the remdesivir kicks in. Remdesivir, what it does is it strips you of everything good so that it can then build you up. So that night was absolutely horrific. Horrific. Um, the hallucinations were disgustingly grotesque. When my eyes were closed, the vision that I had in the hallucination was this. Imagine like a woven wall, if you would, almost like, um, like a fabric. And through it, evil faces pushing their way through with blood pouring through. Vivid memories of this stuff. Vivid. That, that's what happened when I would close my eye. And then when I would open my eye, it would be evil faces coming through the hospital wall. Disgusting, absolutely disgusting. So my experience in the hospital was atrocious, atrocious to the point where the woman, I was dying of thirst. I wanted any, just a sip of water is all I wanted. By the way, guys, I come to find out, research this, many of the people who died from COVID, they died from dehydration. I didn't know that, but this is what I was experiencing in there. A woman comes to the door and I said, can I please have a drink of water? She goes, I can't come in there. I'm like, no, 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 just a drink of water. That's the sink. I see it right there. Can you just get me a drink of water? I can't get up. You can't move. You're tied to everything, but you can't pick your head up off the pillow. Just get me a drink of water. Please get me a drink of water. She goes, I'm sorry, we're busy. I can't come in here. And she shuts the door. I'm like, this is hell. This is it. This is, this is it. 
So the night before, when I got up there and they said, do you want anything? I said, yeah, I'd love two cups of tea, please. Tea makes me feel a little bit better when you're feeling bad. And I remembered the cups of tea. So the tea bags were in there and they were still moist. And so for like 15 seconds, I'll never forget putting that tea bag in my mouth. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. And then it all went away, of course. Terrible, 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 terrible night. Next day or two days later, doctor comes in, says, hey, you look better. And I said, well, who are you? She's like, I'm your doctor. You don't remember me? I said, ma'am, I'm sorry. I don't remember you at all. She asks a question. She says, when was the last time you passed your bowels? I said, like 10 days ago. She goes, what? Is that normal? I'm like, ma'am, I'd like not to be gross right now, but that's so far from normal because I'm good for two or three a day. Okay. So no, it's not normal. Right. So like eyes like this, for all the obvious reasons, if anybody knows about not passing your bowels and what that can do to your system, especially being here in the hospital under their care. So she goes, okay, I'm going to give you a stool softener and a laxative, two things I've never had in my life because I never needed them. I'm strapped in this bed, right, by pain. I'm tied to all this stuff, and they take off. And then it's like, oh, what's that? Yes, sir, you know. I got to go. I'm still in crazy pain and I'm hitting the button and no one's coming. I got to get out of the bed. I got to climb up over the top of the bed to disconnect the, uh, the pole that everything's connected you to with the IV and make my way there. This, re this process repeats itself. Nobody comes in. I'm in this hospital for a week. I'm in absolute filth. It's disgusting. Uh, it is. It's disgusting. No, no one would come in. Your sheets don't get cleaned. Your feet stick to the floor. It was disgusting. I said, can my wife please bring me a pair of underwear? No, I'm sorry. You can't have anything come into you. So the whole experience was absolutely terrible. It was beyond terrible. So three stories, right? What happened when COVID first hit in business and going into that house? What happened to my brother-in-law, Ron, and his murder? And then what happened to me in COVID? I'll tell you right now. A lot worse things have happened to many, many people in the world. As Kurt mentioned, my best friend, Joe Silva. If anybody knows Joe, I know you know Joe. Um, you know, Marianne died of a brain aneurysm a year and a half ago out of nowhere. There's a lot of worse things in life that can happen. And so what I did when I came home after COVID, I sat there and I said, you know what? I'm going to recount all this stuff. So I put it together in a book. And at the end of the book, I said, it was a rough year. And it was a rough year for a lot of people. And now we have a choice to make. What do I do with everything that happened in that rough year? And I looked at it and in the book at the very end, I looked at all of the occurrences as a rudder. And that rudder is, I thought of it as a ship. And I said, that's gonna be my guide. 2020 and everything that, that was bad that occurred, I'm gonna go back to that and allow that to steer me in one direction or the other. I could either be miserable. I could either pray that Ryan get absolutely destroyed in prison for murdering my sister's husband. And there's so much more into that story, but I know we don't have time for it, right? I could absolutely curse the people who mistreated me in the hospital. And trust me, it was atrocious. Imagine this, I'll, I'll give you this one. The one nurse comes in and I'm like, you know, I'm like, is there any way that I could get like, like something to eat. I'm like, it's, it's like a frozen patty that was sitting. It was disgusting. It was just disgusting. This girl looks at me and she goes, oh, you did, what'd she say? Chateau? She goes, you didn't get, or strip. She goes, you didn't get your New York strip? It's like in sarcasm. I'm like, is this girl serious right now or not? Like, I'm like dying over here. And this, right? 
just it was just absolutely brutal. You know that you're lactic. There's one after the other. No, I'm not coming in there to give you water. So I could choose to curse them, or I could choose to positivity. And so if any of you don't know me in this room, self-professed, I am the most positive dude in the world. I look I look for the good in everything, and that comes from the Word of God. Right, it truly does. I'm so grateful for God making me the way that I am. The smile on my face that I wear all the time. But it was a choice. It was a choice to choose positivity over negativity. It was a choice to choose good over evil in somebody like Ryan, who shot and killed his own father, my brother-in-law. And so, at the beginning, I said there were three stories inside of the Bible, and those people also made choices. So I guess we we break out right now and we sit down at tables together. And so the questions. That I'd love for us to wrestle at our tables with is choices, and what choices do we struggle with? As men, it's always the you know the constant, right? It's 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 pornography, it's women, it's infidelity. I mean, those are the ones that always come right off the top. But what if you go a little bit deeper, right? Is every uh, how many fathers are in the room? Not everybody has kids, but the bulk of us, right? So let's talk about those choices. How is it that we choose to disciple? Our children, do we? Do we going to church on Sunday is not discipling our children. That's an act of it. Our children see what we do. We get up and we go. But how do we actually disciple our our children? I fail at this miserably. Where I I say we're supposed to do this. I should take my youngest and say, come on, sit down. We're gonna do a, a quiet time together. We're gonna get into the Word together. And we don't. And I'm I'm to blame for that. Not him. He's 17, right? That's my choice. To say I'm going to turn the game on instead of open up the Word and get with my son, and for those of us who maybe have a spouse, how what choices do we make? Same thing. Do I choose to turn the game on, or do I choose to sit down and say, "How was your day? How how can I serve you, my beloved?" We're supposed to treat her the way Christ loved the church, but do we? Do we make those choices? And there's there's such intention behind that. So I'd love it if we could actually wrestle with. Those choices and how we could be changed and make a positive effect on those whom we love. Does that sound good?